You violated the law. It's the full preview podcast. UFC 284. What's up, everyone? It's your boy Fenya from the Fight Side, and we're here to do the full preview for UFC 284. This is happening in Australia this weekend, and it features a huge fight between uh, current featherweight champion Alexander Volkanovsky moving up to lightweight to challenge for the undisputed title against Islam Makhachev. A very big fight, one of the best that you can make in the sport right now. And the rest of the card, it has its, its ups and downs, but we'll see about that. The, the card also features uh, an interim featherweight title for to a challenge against Volkanovski in the next fight between Jair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett, and we'll be talking about that one too. So, yeah, uh, let's begin. So, as usual, we're talking... Uh, topology from bottom to top so we're starting with the very first prelim its featherweight division is Subara Tukugo versus Elvis Brenner the newcomer here so uh, Brenner who's Brenner uh, Brenner comes from shooter box Diego Lima the the Oliveira camp the, the Brazilians guys with blonde hair camp so he's a, a wrestle boxer uh, he has this power in his hands. Um, I say he's a lot better moving forwards than he's like in the back foot. Uh, he also is like not very good in the pocket because he doesn't really have a processor. He's either like using high guard, backing up, or just trying to counter, but not a lot in the way of like pocket boxing there. Uh, he does seem interesting use of shifting combos when going on the lead. That, that gives him good entries for his takedowns against Cage. He's pretty decent at finishing the double leg against Cage. When he gets on top, he has heavy top pressure. He's content to sit in guard, uh, winning minutes. Like He can win uh, rounds from top position. Uh, if he gets taken down, he has very aggressive butterfly hooks. And he's scrambly, so not, not easy to, to, to hold him down, as it is usual by people from his camp. Um, he has very good passes from ho- from half guard to side control to mount from top position. The the classic like uh, BJJ flow shirt, uh, but he also attacks the legs like from top and from bottom very often. But his best trait is uh, getting to the back and finishing the rear naked choke. That's like his finishing move of choice. And on the other hand, we have Subara Tukugo, uh, the Shechen. He's uh, pretty awkward on the feet, but he's very sharp, uh, very good jab. Uh, tends to be low volume at times. That one of his like biggest flaws is that he can get into very slow fights. That that makes the round super dicey. Uh, but the good the shot selection is pretty good. Uh, he's also very good with the left hook. So you always gotta watch out for that left hand. The jab and the left hook are pretty dangerous. And uh, he's very good at managing distance. Pretty hard to to hit with naked kicks and stuff like that. And he has some flexibility to his game. He can sit back and move forward since pretty effective uh, doing both. Uh, he's a strong wrestler, especially from the body lock. Like, uh, very good takedowns. He can neutralize people there. And has a... He's all about trips, like a lot of guys from the area. Uh, inside and outside trips from body lock and also over unders. I would say Brenner is a, lo- a solid fighter. And the camp you know, certainly comes with momentum, like a lot of shooter box Diego Lima fighters getting into the UFC. But I think Suba is a rough matchup for him. Uh, there's a pretty big back, a pretty big gap in, in striking depth, especially I'd say. And pretty hard to take down to Hugo, and that's like where Brenner has his best shot here. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm picking to Hugo by decision on this one, and we're moving to our next fight. And we stay at featherweight. We have Blake Builder against Shane Young. So who is Builder? Well, Builder is a contender series guy. Uh, he's athletic, has big power, 
moves on the outside and likes like to close distance with big movements. Uh, when he gets opponents to the against cages, like when he starts unloading combinations, and he's pretty good at it. Um, I like how he puts his hands together there. Uh, carries power, as I said. He's an opportunistic wrestler and grappler. Um, has a de very, very decent uh, reactive double leg takedown. He's mostly a back take specialist on the ground. Like he's the kind of guy that looks to take the back during scrambles during the clinch in every position and he can burn a lot of time staying in the back uh, very solid uh, uh, figure four to maintain the back take uh, not a lot in the weight of defense on the feet he moves his head on the outside but once he starts getting into combinations the head stays right in the center line uh, I I've heard I think it's Conor Rivers or Jack Flack that calls that like Rashad Evans syndrome when you move your head on the outside but not during exchanges uh, and the other problem is that he squares his feet when he's getting into combinations, so watch out for counters uh, when it comes to that. On the other hand, we have Shane Young. Uh, he mostly fights with steady pressure behind like a floaty jab, like he keeps uh, his left hand like away from his body to to make his jab like harder to read and quicker. And he also has like very solid leg kicks. He's good at moving sideways. He put combinations together always in the counter and the lead, that's very good. Uh, he has pretty decent first layer of head movement. If you if you try to hit him, he's going to slip uh, a single shot. Uh, but also when when combinations start flying, the head can, can stay in the middle and he can be vulnerable at that. I'm going to mention that flow about many fighters because it's very prevalent in MMA, but uh, it's, it's worth noting every single time. Um, so Shane Young is composed, he's conditioned, uh, and I like that he seems to look to find answers to the defensive reactions of his opponents, but at the same time he can get a little bit predictable with, with his entries, so he can, he can be set up as well. So uh, Young comes into this fight of a layout and two losses, um, Builder comes with all the momentum here. Um, he's undefeated by the way, he has a one draw on his record, but otherwise he's 7-0. Uh, Builder is dynamic enough that he can probably find a big punch or a back take to win the fight early. He seems to keep composure and power late too, so that's that might be problems for Young. But I think I trust the process of Young more to expose the lack of dead in Builder striking, especially. Um, not a fight to bet on, but I'm taking the risk picking Young here to win a decision. And uh, we're moving on to Strawweight, when we have the Tai Lomaluk Bumi. I can see American all this read. So look Bumi, you know, she's undersized. She comes from a traditional Muay Thai background. She's very decorated in Thailand fighting on Muay Thai. Uh, she's a lightning fast counter kicker. Like you, you throw a leg kick, you're gonna get one that's quicker and harder back. She's pretty good at catching kicks and landing in naked kicks as in open space because she has a very good opening for rhythm, for for timing, so she's very good at timing your, your bounces, your steps, and, and that's how she scores in open space. She has pretty good pop in, his, in her punches, she's not much of a boxer, she can be surprised with punches from uh, from the outside. Uh, and the other thing about Loma is that she has very good transitions to clinches, she can find clinches in a lot of exchanges, and there she can land, land very hard levels and knees from a variety of grips, it's not all about the the color ties for her. She knows how to work from from over unders, from elbow frames, from wrist control. So she's the whole deal, as, as you would expect from a Muay Thai fighter. And she's also getting better at using the cage in those positions, like using head pressure when she has her opponents against the cage. So that's pretty good. She also has a variety of trips and foot sweeps from the clinch. Uh, she's actually very good, and that was the. Mostly the way that she used to score in Muay Thai was with trips and foot sweeps. Uh, and now in MMA, she will follow people to the ground. I mean, she has pretty decent posture. Uh, the ground pound is very solid, especially with the elbows. And you can tell that she's using the same principles that she uses to, to land elbows in the clinch. She used those same in close guard or in half guard. As I said, she can be surprised with big punches from the outside and can freeze a bit during combinations. So watch out for that. 
she can lose position during scrambles. You can tell that she's still a bit raw when it comes to grappling. Hopefully, she's still making big improvements from fight to fight. But she stays uh, pretty calm and composed. Uh, we've seen her like with her back being taken, and she just stays relaxed. tries to tries to do the the right things technically. So that's good. And on the other hand, we are we have Elise Reed. She, she comes with a taekwondo background, I think. Um, she has pretty fast combinations with the hands. Uh, tries to time counters and returns with volume. That's always good to see. Uh, she doesn't move her head at all when punching, like therefore the taking. She's strong physically, but she stands a little bit too tall and can be taken down because of that. And the other thing is that she can like lose a lot of minutes in the clinch. She's not bad in the clinch, but she gets stuck in those positions very often. Uh, Reed is, uh, is physical, she's larger than Doma, she, she likes to bully people, so Dora, those are good attributes to have against Lukbumi. But I think she has two big flaws that uh, are against her. One, she's kickable, uh, I mean, she's uh, pretty decent herself, but the kick defense not very good. We, we've seen her like eat like body kicks and, and leg kicks a lot during fights, and Lukbumi on the hand, super powerful kicker, and better at defending kicks um, and the other thing as I said is that she gets stuck in the clinch pretty often and Loma is going to be dangerous there uh, Loma still gotta be careful uh, at range because Reed has pretty decent pop in her punches and even though Loma is better in the clinch you always gotta be careful with bigger fighters not end up on bottom position because Reed can pu push pace and put ground pound together so yeah, I mean, Loma has to mind her P's and Q's here, uh, especially during scrambles, but other than that, I think Loma is a better fighter, uh, picking Luke Pumbi by decision on this one. And we go back to featherweight. And we have the Australian Jack Jenkins versus Don Chaney's. So uh, Jenkins uh, likes to walk behind Faints and like big single shots until he gets the opponent covering up. And when the opponent cover up, covers up, is where he puts like his best work because he puts very good boxing combinations together. He attacks all three levels head, body, legs. Uh, his favorite punch, you can tell, is the left hook to the body. It's very good with it and very dangerous with cough kicks in open space, too. Uh, he switches to Salpa to add variety and has decent fundamentals there. Um, she, he can jab, uh, he can hand fight, and the footwork is pretty clean from footwork. Uh, he's also one of those fighters that is a lot better moving forwards. Uh, the back foot, uh, he knows how to use the jab defensively to freeze opponents and move around, but if you put combinations together, he tends to retreat in straight lines. The, so, uh, the takedown defense is pretty solid, and he has good take, uh, reactive takedowns. Uh, his level change is super quick. And he's solid from top position, uh, steady ground pound, uh, good passes, and one of those guys that when he gets to mount knows how to maintain mount and keep going at it with ground pound. And on the other hand, we have Don Chaney's. Uh, he's a wild athlete. Uh, he has a wrestling background. He's a wrestling boxer. Uh, I would say that he gets too wild and aggressive for his own good on the feet. Uh, he can be open to counters, especially when throwing hooks. No, no a lot of defense there. But he, he's fast, he has he packs big power. Uh, one of the best things about him is he's very good at transition to the legs in between boxing combinations, and he's a very good wrestler. Uh, he's pretty versatile as a wrestler and as a grappler. He can wrestle from the clinch, very good at shooting and open space, or singles, doubles. Uh, when it comes to, to grappling on the ground, uh, uh, when it comes to the traditional positions of BJJ, uh, he has good passes, you can tell he's pretty well schooled, but also in wrestling positions like like rides and such, uh, he's also very solid and he can land big, big ground pounds from those positions. And also when he gets taken down, he's very aggressive with butterfly hooks, almost impossible to get him and his back. Uh, Chainis, I would say, has pretty decent cardio, but the base of his fights can get out of his hand and that's where he tires. I think Jenkins has the process edge here. Uh, not only he's by far the more measured fighter on the field, but also he's more technical and thoughtful with his striking. I think he would have problems with Chaney's speed and the recklessness, 
especially because, as I said, Jenkins like retreats on straight lines, and Chain is like big power. He's going to make him back up here and there. Uh, so he gotta be uh, he gotta be careful with the big punches and the takedowns. We haven't seen Jack Jenkins face this level of wrestling opposition, so that should be interesting to see. Uh, but Jenkins looks like very well schooled. He looks a decent athlete. Maybe not as good as Shane is, but comparable at least. Uh, so I'm picking Jenkins to win a decision on this one. Are we more moving to lightweight? And we have Jamie Malarkey. He's the local on this one. He's fighting the Argentinian Francisco Prado making his debut. So Malarkey, long and awkward. He's Works at, at a very long range. He's a long guy. Uh, not only he's tall, but like long arms. Uh, he looks like for straight punches and leg kicks. Uh, he likes a lot to step into big leg kicks. Uh, if you start like reacting to his feints, and he can be very damaging with that. He also likes like to move his head a lot on the outside, looking to weave his way into range. And then he looks to put combinations together. He's actually pretty good at putting combinations together. And he's very aggressive in the clinch. I think that's something that he maybe should pursue more. Um, very good at landing like big elbows and knees. Not very mindful of positioners. He's all about damage and very very active there. Uh, he makes use good use of his levers to to find like big strikes. And he also can transition into dirty boxing from the clinch, so he's pretty versatile there. Uh, the flaws with Molarki is that he can be hit after punching, I mean, he he punches very long and that means that he has has, a, has to retreat his arms from a, lo a longer distance, he can be open for counters there. On in the pocket, also another one of those fighters that moves his head a lot, uh, especially when he has the initiative, but when he's reactive in the, reacting in the pocket, can stay in the center line looking for punches and he can be surprised there. And on the other hand, we have Prado. Uh, Prado, uh, he's all about big movements, uh, mostly pressures, and either explodes with a rear side attack, be it the overhand, right kick, flying knee, or he waits for the opponent to lead and tries to counter either with a, with a cross counter with the right hand or a check hook. Uh, he's decent at corralling people with his feet, but doesn't move opponents with his attacks. Uh, what I mean with that is that he follows uh, opponents uh, near the walls of the cage well uh, using sidesteps but he doesn't attack space uh, so that means that he he's not very good at keeping people where he wants to uh, he's very physically strong explosive that makes him dangerous in the clinch especially with knees so you gotta be careful of that but he's always open like for counters and takedowns because his form is not very very good he's too wild he doesn't have a jab to uh, he's a huge stepping competition for Prado. Molarki has like a modern process and well put uh, MMA game that I don't think Prado has faced before in his MMA career. It's a lot of single shots from what I've seen for him and for his opponent. Um, Prado should be a live dog because he's a huge hitter and Molarki we've seen being hit before. Uh, but Molarki has pretty good chin but you never know. Uh, but other than that it looks a bit of a mismatch for me. I'm picking Malarkey by second round knockout for this one. And we're going down to flyweight. Is Clayson Rodriguez versus Shannon Ross. So first we talk about the Brazilian Rodriguez. He's pretty big for the weight class. Uh, very athletic. He pressures behind a long blade stance. A, a bit of a karate flavor going on there. A lot of kicks. Quick and active with the leg left. Uh, powerful with the rear one. He loves the left hook, the check hook, and also leading with the left hook. And the overhand too, especially as counters. He likes to fight like all the way in, all the way out, and he uses that blade stance to his advantage there. He can be open for counters, especially when close in distance. And he likes to fight in spots, he doesn't like pressure very much, but, but he has good cardio though. Uh, he's a decent scrambler with a solid BJJ base. And he's pretty strong in the clinch. But uh, sometimes he gets a bit too wild uh, with his strikes. And he can be taken down from those positions. Uh, as I said, he has pretty decent cardio. I, I've seen him uh, tire in fights, especially the C.A. Vergara fight. But that was insane pace. And he seemed to carry his power very late into the fight. 
On the other hand, we have Chan Ross. Chan Ross uh, lost his Contender Series fight, so he's making his UFC debut off a knockout. I still think he's a pretty good fighter. I would describe him as a scrappy veteran. He put quick combinations together with his hands, especially in the counter, and can kick well in open space. He's tough, has good cardio, can dig deep. He has been in a, a lot of wars. Uh, he's 19 fights into his career going into this fight. Uh, he can be hit in the pocket. That's another one of those guys that seems to have the head movement, like nail down, <laughs> and then it disappears when he gets into the pocket. It's, it happens so often in MMA, so I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself too much. Um, and yeah, he can also be like surprised with same time counters, especially if Rodriguez tries to like nail him with the left hook or try to time uh, a cross counter with the right hand. Uh, that's something to look for. I think Ross presents a similar challenge to Rodriguez than his previous opponent, CJ Bergara did. Uh, Ross, I would say, probably has better hands and presents more like immediate danger because he has like bigger power. But he lacks two key points, and one is the non-stop pressure. He's a lot more akin to fight in, in neutral space than Bergara. And the other thing is that he doesn't have the durability that CJ Bergara is almost immortal. <laughs> So, so yeah, I think he's stacking those things, and without those, I think this is Clayson's fight to win. Uh, Clayson looks very good. Uh, he's raw, but he has the power, he has the conditioning, uh, he has the skills. Uh, she, this one should be a very good fight, but I'm picking Clayson Rodriguez by knockout on the second round. And we're back to featherweight. And this time it's Joshua Kulibao versus Melsic Bagdasarian. So we have the Australian, Kulibao. Uh, he's a pretty awkward striking striker. I would say he has a pretty good sense of rhythm and timing. That's what makes him pretty good on the feet. He faints both from both stances. Uh, a little bit of a TDD like cosplay going on at times, I would say there. Remember when that was like a, like a subgenre of fighters, like just guys doing the TDD like <laughs> Okay, but back on track. Uh, he's always like fainting from both stances looking for reactions to make entries He fights very loose and relaxed and that allows him to be very quick and Conserve energy his cardio is very good because he doesn't fight tons, but at the same time uh, that can leave him open for counters uh, Especially because uh, he has pretty awkward form with his punching a lot of flaily elbows going on there But he has surprisingly good good popping his hands despite that um, he does a lot of shifting to close the distance and he could be counter during those instances and after clinch breaks as well. So watch out for that. On the other hand, we have Melsic Bactasarian, the Armenian. Uh, he fights from, from a bladed stance. He's a southpaw kickboxer with a, a, probably a, a karate background going on there. He stays pretty tight, I would say. I would describe like his very contrary to Kulibao that has like flailing elbows like Pagdasarian keeps like a high guard and keeps the elbows very tight when punching and he's very good at attacking with knees and kicks to the legs and to the body uh, especially very very powerful kicks from the left side he can jab but mostly likes to hand fight to set up the, the double attack he's very dangerous with that so watch out for that uh, this is an interesting matchup and should be fun. Uh, because on one hand you have the loose and orthodox Kulibao, and then you have the more like traditionally school, tight and explosive Bactasarian. Kulibao can probably frustrate Melsic and moving on the outside and playing with rhythm, fainting from both stances. And Bactasarian needs to take the initiative on this one, smother any potential counters with his clinch entries. He's pretty good at finding clinch entries and then attacking with knees and elbows from there, uh, especially when that's what he does, like to control like, to control what exchanges happen and which doesn't. Kulibao goes into this fight as a more experienced guy in MMA. I mean, Bagdasarian has a pro boxing, a pro, a pro kickboxing experience. And Kulibao has faced like more guys in MMA at a higher level. And this is 
I would say a tricky matchup for both guys, and in those cases, I usually tend to side with the more experienced guy. But I think uh, Bakhtasarian has enough nuance to his game and, and a decent process to to not fall for the MMA tricks of Kulibal. This should be a good one, but I'm taking the risk picking Bakhtasarian by decision on this one. And we uh, go all the way up to light heavyweight for the next two. We have Tyson Pedro, third fight after his comeback. Uh, he's fighting Modestas Bogoskas that he's is making his way back to the UFC after after being caught after that gruesome injury that he suffered against Khalil Roundtree. Excuse me. So yeah, I mean Pedro, he's long, he's big, he's athletic. He likes to fight behind like his long weapons, uh, strong leg kicks, a snap kick to the body. That one is very good, uh, straight punches. He's all about uh, distance management, and he does that pretty well. Um, not much of a boxer. I mean, he can punch pretty hard, but he's not like a guy that will stay in the pocket, like sleeping shots, coming up with counters. Um, he, uh, as I said, he's all about like distance management. Uh, he moves in, he moves out, he used the long range tools to keep the opponents at bay. Um, not a lot of defense other than that. And he's a pretty strong grappler, has a few takedowns in the clinch, uh, a few like judo throws and body lock takedowns. And when he gets to the top position, you know, pretty decent posture, like very functional grappler and the ground pound is very big too. It's very big, so watch out for that. And on the other hand, we have Modestas Bogoska. Um, he's a kickboxer that likes to move on the outside. Um, he's pretty much an outfighter, like he circles around, trying to to move his opponent into big shots and break tempo with the jab too when they try to to go in. Uh, he's very powerful from from the rear side. The uh, the right hand and the right kick are very very dangerous. He also has uh, spinning kicks to out to the his arsenal, so he's dangerous, a dangerous guy. He's pretty comfortable, like circling around the cage, but if you put like long combinations together, he can be overwhelmed. And you can tell that he's he's fine like using the outside footwork when it comes to like big motions, but if you drag him in the pocket, he doesn't have like tight pivots or that kind of stuff to, to escape those positions. I would say Bukaskas has probably more depth to his striking and has a better process. But Pedro, what Pedro brings is that like, he's very athletic, he fights with a lot of confidence and he's very like you can tell he has a cold mind inside the cage, uh, but while Bukaskas, on the other hand, is a bit more shaky, like his confidence depends a lot on the success that he's having in the fight. Uh, this being a leg parity could trouble Pedro because he likes the, uh, the long-range tools and takes advantage of that, but he, at this fight, like Bukaskas, can match him in that department, especially with the long kicks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Bukaskas has a very good shot in this one, uh, especially if landing a big kick. Uh, both guys are big. Tyson Pedro probably have physicality edge, but but yeah, I don't count Bukaskas out. I think the diff the big difference maker in this one is the poise that Pedro comes into fight with. Uh, I, I get a feeling that he intimidates people. Sometimes and Bukaskas can maybe like fall for that. And other, and other than that, if, he, if they go to the ground, I, I gotta trust Pedro more. You know, the ground power is very dangerous. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a pretty even fight. Um, I think it's Tyson Pedro by knockout on the first round, but it could go either way. And as I said, we stay at light heavyweight. Jimmy Crude versus Alonso Manningfield. Yeah. So Crude making his comeback after two consecutive losses. So the last one was more than a year ago to current light heavyweight champion, Yamaha Hill. And also many feel on the other hand coming with the momentum, momentum of two first round stoppages. So yeah, Crude, uh, I would say he's a pretty like meat and potatoes, well-rounded fighter. Uh, when I say meat and potatoes, it's not that he's bad, it's just that he he's, he has like a minimalist tool set and he, he makes like decent use of that. Uh, the leg kicks at range are very big, especially like calf kicks. Um, he can jab pretty well, has a big left hook and the overhand and straight right. Uh, especially find those big punches at punches at the counter. Uh, decently strong wrestler, like 
like technically not flawless, but he's very strong, has a quick level change, can finish from a variety of positions. And the thing that mostly trouble truth are jazz and same tank counters. Uh, when he has the initiative and the opponent is not like reactive with any kind of nuisance, he takes away, he like runs away with fights. He's a very well put together fighter. And many feel, on the other hand, extremely powerful, like absurd, like he's as powerful as he, as he looks. He fights from a super low stance and he's mostly working off the threat of his huge right hand. He's like, like fainting this like big right hand of the level change. Uh, he can set up like takedowns from there. Uh, his technique on the wrestling is not very good, but he's very strong. So he clutches his hands together uh, behind your butt, you're going out for a ride. Uh, he, the other thing with Benifield is that he has no problem like eating huge chunks of the fight in the clinch. Um, he's very powerful and dangerous. He can get big knockouts, but he's also not scared to fight boring if he feels like he needs to. The thing with Benifield is that he doesn't have a lot of depth in any any certain area. Uh, Crude is hitable and Benifield is a huge hitter, so do the map. Obviously Alonso has a decent shot of yeah, getting the first round knockout in this one. But on the other hand, like Crude also pretty big puncher, uh, not a bad athlete himself. And uh, has the better process. Uh, not a good another one of those fighters not good to bet on. But yeah, I mean if I had to pick, obviously I gotta go with Crude. I think he's the better fighter of the two. Um maybe him coming off two losses is going to affect him. I think quite the contrary, I think he's going to look pretty good here. Um many feel has a lot of potential physically, but he's getting up in age. Um and I doubt he's getting a lot better, like MMA wise, at this stage. Maybe like the mindset's getting better, but the skills are still lacking a bit. Uh, I'm picking Jimmy Crude by knockout on the second round on this one. And we go to even bigger boys because he's heavyweight, and we have Justin Taffa against Parker Porter on this one. So Taffa, Salpo kickboxer. Stands mostly flat-footed, but he's like deceptively agile. He can move pretty well in the ground and on the feet. Like he's, he's a quick, athletic guy, despite what his looks might tell him. And on the way he stands, because he stands pretty, pretty flat-footed. He has huge power, both the left hand and the left kick. He's pretty good at finding head kicks, and also can counter with the red hook. So, so keep an eye on that. I think Tafa makes good reads that can become predictable during long fights. Um, what I've seen from grappling from Tafa, he looks surprisingly decent. As I said, he's agile. He can scramble a little bit. He seems to know what to do to get up back to his feet. So he's not one of those guys that get taken down and the fight is over. He's not one of those. On the other hand, we have Porter. Um, he's like a plodding, well-rounded fighter. He fights at a very constant pace, mixes up clinches and takedowns. He's like a well-rounded guy that fights like a well-rounded guy. He likes to wear people down during the, during the length of the fight. He's a functional striker that can make reads as the fight goes on. Uh, he's not a very good wrestler, uh, but he's a pretty decent grappler, actually. Uh, I don't know if he's a black belt, but he looks pretty good on the ground, to be honest. Uh, I've seen him in the ground and he also is one of those guys that do not accept like bottom position He will work to get back to his feet and seems to have like a pretty well-schooled jiu-jitsu And Porter the thing is that he has surprisingly good cardio like he gets tired like all big guys do but he can fight tired and He sets a pace that he can maintain and that's how he will fight if he doesn't fight like an early knockout Tafa is quicker and more dangerous than Porter. Um, and I think he should win striking exchanges immediately off the bat because Tafa is a pretty sharp uh, starter. The longer the fight goes, the more opportunities Porter will have to figure out like which strikes work, how to wrestle, or if he has to stall in the clinch, that kind of stuff. But I think uh, the barrier for making that to happen is pretty high because as I say, Tafa is sharp out of the gate. Overall, the better striker. Uh, unless Porter makes his theory 
and takes uh, Dafa into deep waters. I think Dafa wins this. Um, taking a risk with Dafa, first round knockout on this one. And we are at welterweight. And it's root boy Randy Brown. He takes on the, on the hometown guy, Jack Della Maddalena. Very good fight, this one. So Brown, he's very long. I think he's billed as six feet two, probably true. Uh, he switches stances, looks to throw very long jabs from both stances. He likes to double and triple with the with the jab, move his feet, try to jungle angling you for the rear hand. He's tricky to to hit to the head because he maintains a very long distance, draws counter with the jab, and then he likes to make these very exaggerated dips to the inside from the sense he is. And then he pulls back when he sees the next counter. So he goes to that sequence a lot, but still very like tricky because the distance is so big. And he's like manipulating you with the jab. Uh, but as I said, that sequence, he does a lot and he can be timed doing that. Uh, Brown is also like good at catching clinches to smaller fighters when they get past his lead hand. And he's pretty decent at using his long levers to find knees from color ties and also likes to find elbows during clinch breaks. He's not a very strong offensive wrestler, but once it gets into the ground, he's a very tricky gra grappler. Like, he, he knows how to use his length uh, to put barriers, to post, to get up, to sweep. And he's pretty decent at finding submissions, especially the front headlock. He has... Uh, the Taras, the, the, the Anacondas, the Guillotines, and all that kind of stuff, and also decent at taking the back. Um, hard to peel off with those very long legs when he puts on a triangle. And on the other hand, we have Jack Della Maddalena. He's a brutal combination puncher. He switches stances a lot, but he's, he's pr primarily a southpaw. But from time to time, he likes to mirror his opponent's stance, so interesting to see against Brown that switches a lot. He has clubbing power, he's damaging to the body with hooks from both sides. Uh, but he also is pretty good at, at countering moving back, especially like taking hot steps to take an angle and put the, uh, the straight shot there. So he has some versatility to his game. He's a good scrambler, but he has been surprised with takedowns uh, moving, moving forward. He has a very strong in the clinch though, not sure if he has like a judo background or, or something, but he's strong there. Uh, on the ground, he can be a, a little bit too urgent for his own good to get back to his feet, and that has led him to get into precarious positions before. He stays very composed <laughs> defending submission attempts. We've seen him in like in insanely close submission attempts and get out. Uh, the thing with Della is that he's very sharp out of the gate, fights are at a very high pace, and can sustain that for three rounds, so that's a very tough outing for anyone. Uh, Brown is a very interesting puzzle for Della. Uh, he will have a sizable reach advantage, fights long and very annoying. Uh, that could prove troublesome because Della does more of his damage uh, with his hands and from up close. So interesting to see how he closed the distance there. Uh, but nonetheless, we've seen Brown like big, big movements, both with his head and with his feet, be timed by big punchers before. Um, Chaos Williams hurt him twice in their fight. He's not a very nuanced like puncher. Bisanta Luke even eventually figured out the the head movement and knocked him out too. Uh, Dela will probably have some trouble early getting to Brown, uh, and he needs to be careful to not end up in the front in the front headlock. I mean, I I know I said like Dela is very good at defending submissions, but you don't want to play with fate too much. And Brown is good at wrapping those up. But I think the, the dexterity from Jack Della Maddalena and the boxing language, the versatility with his hands, is what will eventually allow him to figure out uh, Brown head movement and footwork and punish him with the big blows. Also, like he attacks the body a lot, so that always helps. I'm picking Jack Della by knockout on the second round on this one. And with that, we move to the co-main event. And it's an interim fight for the featherweight championship. 
we have El Pantera Jair Rodriguez versus Josh Emmett. So Rodriguez, a lightning quick switch kickboxer, he likes to move on the outside, score with a great variety of kicks, um, very dextrous with both with both legs. And he has a like a well put together like meat and potatoes boxing with the one two, the sweeping left hook. Uh, he's very sharp out of the gate. Uh, as I said, he likes to look for the one-two, has pretty good eye for it, and usually tries to end combos with his sweeping left hook. It's pretty wide, but he's super quick with it. Has good ability to pop kicks moving backwards too, and move his head after combinations when leaving. Uh, he, he mostly likes to wave after the rear hand. Uh, one problem for Jair is that he's not good at adjusting his feet in the pocket. He can get out position and he can flee exchanges like turning his back. That could be very dangerous. And the same when he's moved his head, he doesn't seem to have a good connection between head movement and footwork. So he likes to make like this very big like slips and dips. And then his feet are all messed up, crossed, and he needs to like literally run away from his opponent. Um, he's a, he has good trigger for counters, but when he's countering another one of those guys that doesn't move his head, despite moving his head in any other context, he's an athletic scrambler, uh, but I, I would say he relies too much on his length to make movements happen. Uh, he can be stuck if you, if you attack, like his seams don't allow him to pause and put him like flat on his back. We've, we saw that against Frankie Edgar, who despite the, the very severe, like, length disparity was able to attack like Jair's posts and just take him to the ground, keep him there. And on the other hand, we have Josh Emmett, uh, wrestling background. He's very explosive, powerful. He's a stocky wrestler boxer. Likes to mostly operate a neutral space. He's usually like feigning and looking for either like counter opportunities or openings to explode with shifting combinations. He's pretty clever with his entries. Uh, does a lot of like, like Pump a double jab, shift, going with the, what now is the rear hand, so three hands from the same side and ends with the other one. He has like a lot of setups, uh, a little bit of like, a little bit of DJD Lashon, Chad Mendes going on there. I don't know if Emmett ever trained with uh, uh, Dwayne Ludwig when he was there in Team Alpha Male. That was a long time ago, but maybe he, he learned a few tricks there. Uh, Emmett has good defense at open space. Uh, the, both with the head movement and the footwork, but he can be he can have trouble getting stuck at long range, especially with jabs and kicks. The thing with Emmett is that he doesn't really have good transitions to his offensive wrestling, uh, but he's very explosive with the double leg takedown, and so he can surprise just with timing with that. And he's solid with the top position with good control. Uh, he he especially likes to control wrist to land ground and pound elbows from the close guard and generates a lot of power during transition, especially if he gets you like from a, a ride, he can just put his whole body into punches and put big damage from there. This is a very tricky matchup for Emmett, I'm going to say. Uh, Rodriguez has the length, straight punches and the kicks. Uh, it will make the distance perilous to traverse for Josh. Uh, some, of the, some of Emmett's setups could work and catch Jair. But Jay has proven to be like incredibly tough. Uh, but I mean, you never know. Like with Emmett, sometimes it only takes one, one of the biggest punchers in the whole division. Uh, the wrestling could be the wild card, but Emmett hasn't shown the ability to take down this level of fighter. Um, Jair, despite his flaws, uh, defending takedowns has shown decent and staying alive and eventually creating the scrambles. But his Frankie Edgar fight, as I said. Uh, Rodriguez might not have the nuances in the 1-2 that someone like Calvin Cater might have, but but he's still like sharp with it, long with it, and he has a wide array of kicks to make him think on the outside. And he's very good at keeping pace with fighters, even on the back foot, for whole five rounds. So there's that too. Other than an early KO, there are still paths for Emmett to win, especially since Jair presents a lot of like market defense patterns that could be figured out as the fight goes on. Um, but I think the the matchup favors Rodriguez way too much for my liking for an Emmett pick here. 
Um, I think El Pantera takes the interim title, uh, winning a decision on this one. So Rodriguez by decision is the final pick. And with that, we're into the main event, the big one, the best fight by far, the most important. Islam Makhachev defends his lightweight title against featherweight champion Alexander Volkanovsky in what the UFC has described as pound for pound number one versus number two. I think that's fair. I might not exactly agree, but I won't complain about that. This is a very, very good fight. So let's get into it. So we have Mahachev. Uh, he's a ranky southpaw. Uh, looks to fire the straight left of the left kick uh, of the lead hand fight. That's like most of this stuff. Uh, when he's on the back foot, he usually looks to angle. Um, when he sees an entry and immediately counters with the 2-3, he's very well schooled to do that. Uh, he stays disciplined most of the time, but his form can fall apart when he's forced to go to cover distance. We've seen that in the past and in the pocket. Uh, you can tell like he's well schooled to throw the two three in the pocket and sometimes move his head, but you can tell he's not very comfortable there. Uh, still, you gotta respect because he has power and he has. You can tell has good triggers to throw the, uh, his default combination. Uh, the interesting is wrestling. He has a variety of entries to the clinch. Uh, he can change levels to the waist to find uh, like a body lock. If he he can also like grab collar ties with the lead hook. Uh, he has uh, takedowns from the full body lock and the over under, both from the overhook and the underhook side. So he's very versatile there. Uh, we've seen a lot of like wizard kicking from there, but he also like has trips both inside and outside from both sides so it's very tricky to deal there and he also has a very quick level changed into the single leg and uh, he usually like uh, elevates the leg and finishes the single leg with trips and uh, not much uh around the pipe kind of guy and uh, from top he's incredibly heavy from top position he can hold people down on guard or half guard but he also has like good passes to get to his most dangerous positions. Um, his weapon of choice is the the arm triangle that he he loves to triangle from half guard, passes to mount and there to side control. That's like he's, he's usually like finishing touch to a fight. But he also shown the ability to go for armbars and kimuras, especially from side control he has those setups, so watch out for that. And he's a pretty good scrambler when presented with resistance. Uh, the thing with Mahachev is that he rarely accepts bottom position, is always posting and turtling to fight his way back to his feet. Has not been punished with back takes uh, at the moment, but I mean, he, he seems very good at getting back to his feet. And um, he's also like very good at winning scrambles in the front headlock. We haven't seen a lot of submissions in the front headlock because almost no one shoots on him. But yeah, he looks very strong in those positions. Ah, uh, the challenger, Alexander the Great. Um, he's incredibly versatile uh, an athletic stocky striker he can fight from both stances good job damaging lead like kick can set up attack with the, with the jab he goes into one two jabbing off the hook kicking off punches and also, or he can also like close distance anticipating counters fading back angling to land with the right hand or the left hook he can become a little bit stationary in the pocket with his feet, but he fires quick, stays aware. Uh, he doesn't stay in the in the pocket more than he wants to. Or he's also good at smothering people into the clinch there. He's very physically strong in the clinch, can muscle people to the cage. Disengage and fire elbows or punches. Pretty decent ring craft, even though he can flirt with the walls of the cage a bit too much. Uh, he can pivot or turn people in the clinch to get back to the center. He's very adaptable, can change directions or weapons of choice depending on the matchup. He can go, he can sit back, he can pressure. He can fight like mostly with the lead side. As we saw, I guess Chad Mendes, he was all about like the instant leg kick, the left hook. But uh, lately we also seen like very right hand dominant performances. So, you know, he has uh, a variety of weapons and like a lot of uh, thoughtfulness go, go into them. 
He's collected under pressure, even when hurt, any bad sports. Uh, he's unusually good at decision making. Maybe the best decision maker in the sport. So the big question when it comes to this fight is how the size difference will affect the matchup. You know, I mean, Islam would be an interesting puzzle for both, even at size parity, considering that Alexander hasn't faced a wrestler of this style and level during his his career. Uh, as like similar stuff, he has faced an elite wrestler and athlete in Chad Mendes, but obviously very different from Island when it comes to dimensions and style of wrestling and striking. And we also have like a little bit of a parallel in Elkins, who is long and he's like a smaller grappler, but is like a lot smaller, not as athletic, the striking is a bit different. So, but yeah, I mean, going by previous fighter, there are sketchy moments here and there that we can look and not be very optimistic about Volkanovski. Uh, if you want to know more about that, uh, check out Mikhail Class' article about uh, the chances of Volkanovski when it comes to grappling against Islam. Very good article. I highly recommend that. But at the same time, uh, Volkanovski has elevated his game time and time again since those fights that were a pretty long time ago now. Even at size parity, it's not a given that Volkanovski wins. I'm not saying that because, I mean, Islam is an elite wrestler grappler. He could take advantage of, like, Alexander that likes to clinch on smaller people. Uh, but all that said, not everything from Island has been perfect either. Like, I do think he will need to rely on his size to hold down and wear down Volkanovski. I don't think he has, like, a quick, a quick victory on this one waiting for him. Or, or maybe, like, he needs to force Volkanovski into a very bad spot in the ground and take advantage and close a submission that with his strength will allow him to win early. To win early. All that said, I'm still picking Volkanovski, maybe a bit of a fanboy here. Uh, but I don't know, man. I, I'm picking Volkanovski to bring the tactics and the mindset to the table to pull off the upset. Uh, I just see him being too good uh, in matches, get too better at, at this point of his career. And I think he has the good ideas. Uh, I don't know, man. This is not a very like analytical choice. I'm... I'm going by vibes a lot on this one, but I think Volkanovski is the best fighter in the world at this moment. I really want him to win. I think it's very hard. Uh, it's not very likely, but if I'm forced to choose, that's my pick. I'm picking Volkanovski by decision to become double champion. And there you have it, guys. That's my full preview. We're covering all the fights. I mean, we just covered all the fights. Remember to support the fight site on Patreon. Uh, you can join our Discord server. You can talk to me and other very smart people over there about fights and about everything. Uh, thanks all of you for your support. Thank you very much and I'll catch you on the next one.